Have you ever wondered how some people face unbelievable circumstances yet rise stronger than ever? Maybe you thought they have something inside of them that you don't. Our guest today shares the mindset shift that changed his life. Together, we will be sharing ways that you can get a handle on negative thoughts. Today, my guest is Jacques Delorme, and you definitely want to hear his story. My name is Lisa, and I've been a health and life coach since 2012. I've also battled my own mental health for 23 years. My mission is simple to help you face life challenges and mental health struggles and support others through inspiring stories and simple strategies so you can keep going no matter what. And just a little warning about today's episode. Some of the details that you hear might be triggering. Hey Jacques. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It's a great pleasure to be on your show. So you have experienced some serious trauma in your life. Can you tell us about that? It started back in October of 2021. So we are post-COVID. I was on my way taking a trip east and I was on the number one highway. I'd gotten almost to my destination. It was after dark. I was looking to get something to eat. I was in the left-hand lane. There was a lone gas station on the north side of the highway. I wasn't sure there was anybody working or if it's even open because it's post-COVID. Everything closed early back then. And I don't see cars. I don't see somebody walking around. So I'm, okay, probably not open. I'll have to stop somewhere else to get food. And I just continued on. Right after that exit, the highway takes a little bit of a curve to the right and it's slightly downhill. I come around the curve and I never saw him in time. In the middle of my lane is a 24-year-old man riding a pedal bike in the middle of the night. And I hit him. I was going 120 kilometers an hour. Didn't get a chance to hit my brakes. Didn't get a chance to swerve. Nothing. It's just I had no way of avoiding him. Hit him just off center of my car. His body goes up over the hood, hits my windshield, shatters it, uh, and bounces up over and lands somewhere in the highway behind me. I used the left side of the road through my side window to kind of figure out where I am and to be able to stop without uh, going into the ditch. I pull over as quick as I could, hit my hazard lights, and called 911. I have my emergency first aid, so after a brief brief conversation with her, we figured out I'm fine. So I'm physically not hurt. And I'm going to go back and see if I can't help him in some way uh, and try and use my first aid training. So I walked back probably about 75 meters or so and I find him. He's in the middle of the highway right along the dash line in the middle, his head facing oncoming traffic and not moving, not responding to me, not moving, nothing. Uh, 911 operator is going, you can't go out there. You didn't see him on a bike. No one's going to see you standing in the middle of the highway. So it's dangerous for me to go out there. She suggested I wait until the police arrive and they can block off the highway and then we can get him some help. As it turns out, it's a good thing she said that because not 30 seconds later, a vehicle comes around the curve and come down the hill. It's a midsize SUV. And 
instinct by people who are driving is to never hit something that's in the middle of the road with your tires. So you either take it between your wheels and have it go underneath your vehicle, or you swerve to completely avoid it. They swerved, but they swerved left, which means they took the body in between the tires and drove right over top of them. There's not enough clearance for a human body underneath a midsize SUV. So I hear the clunking sound of a body rolling underneath the chassis. And as it goes over going probably speed limit of the highway 110, his body gets launched like an arrow just above the height of the SUV and just like right down the highway following the vehicle. And it went about 50 feet down the highway and hit the ground, rolled, and stopped across the right-hand lane. I am in shock at this point. 911 operators, I'm telling her what's happening as it's happened, and she goes quiet. Um, I'm walking at this point, just not knowing what to do. She says, get back to your vehicle and get off the side of the highway. It's dangerous. Uh, it's really dark out, and I'm wearing dark clothing, so I don't have reflectors or anything to warn people I'm there. So I start walking back to my vehicle, and not a minute later, another sound comes from behind me, much louder sound, lots of lights comes around the curve. This time it's a semi with a flatbed trailer. And with the body being where it is, he has absolutely no chance to avoid it. So he's going to hit him. And right before the semi hits him, I looked away, I can't watch. I grew up on a farm, so I know what happens to animals that we've hit, and I'm not watching. I heard the clunk uh, from the front tire hitting, and then nothing after that. So it just the front tire got him. Got it right across the pelvis. Uh, flipped his body sideways towards the center line. Rest of the tires missed, but it's still going to do a significant amount of damage. He's already dead at this point. There's nothing I can do. I walked straight back to my vehicle and didn't look sideways. I did not want to see anything as far as what the result was. I got back to my car to wait for the police to show up. The shocking piece is that both vehicles didn't stay. Both left. Uh, the SUV, after it hit the body, uh, braked for about two seconds and hit the gas hard and took off. The semi stopped briefly at first, uh, just up from where my car was. I could see him through my side window. But when I came out, when the police arrived, he'd taken off too. So I actually was the only one who had stopped. That is an incredible story. And I know this is the second time that I've heard it. Um, and it makes my heart beat fast. And I can visualize everything you're telling me. So I can't even imagine how traumatizing that would be. The initial impact on me was my heart rate was up, elevated really bad. Like I'm 120 beats a minute. Um, resting heart rate is normally around uh, 50. So I'm at 120 and constantly at 120. My blood pressure is really high. Um, I've got this knot in my chest and in my solar plexus that won't go away. And I'm, I'm on edge, like I'm shaking. My hands are shaking. I'm basically going into a form of shock and I'm not knowing what to do. I'm just edgy. I just, I need to do something, trying to do something, but what do I do? And that's where I get caught. I just, I sat in my car and just vibrated listening, talking to the lady on 911. And that's all I could do until the cops arrived. And even then, what can I do? I wasn't going back to see the body. It's I can't help him. I can't I, doing anything first aid wise was useless. 
So it's I'm kind of caught in that limbo of it just happening and not knowing what to do. Just out of curiosity, how long were you at the scene? The cops showed up, the cops and two ambulances showed up as well. They blocked the highway and that took only about 10 minutes. We were really close to where the detachment was and there's a town nearby where the turnoff for the town that was near was only a kilometer down the highway. So we weren't far from town. So the ambulance was quick. They're right out of that town. It's a large enough town. They actually have an RCMP detachment. So the corporal who showed up was there quite quickly. But I spent the next three hours sitting there and talking to the police, talking to the medics, the first responders. They're checking me out, check my blood pressure, my heart rate like three times <laughs> to, to make sure I was, I was okay. Um, yeah, and it, eventually they sent me to the hospital uh, to get checked, but it was just because I had a cut on my right hand. And I didn't even feel. I was had blood dripping down my hand from a cut from putting my car in park when I grabbed the stick shift. Flying glass from the windshield end up in my car. Was, there was a piece that was on that stick shift. So I, when I grabbed it to put it into park, I put it right into my hand and didn't even feel it. So I was sitting there bleeding all over the place and didn't even realize I was. So I went to the hospital to get the glass out and they didn't even need a stitch. It was nothing. It was uh, pretty minor, but they sent me anyway, just to get checked. And yeah, I was there all of 15 minutes and that was it for that. So yeah, I was, it was a long haul. By the time I got to a hotel in the nearby city, it was after midnight and the accident happened uh, just a touch before eight o'clock. So it was a four hour ordeal of, finally getting to where I was going to sleep for the night. Well, let's just back that up a little bit because I have a big question mark in my head. You're sitting at the hospital. You're physically being examined. Did anybody at the hospital take the time to check in on your mental status? No. The only person who said anything as far as checking on me was the corporal. He was good. He ended up uh, suggesting that, no, you're just get to where you're going to go. And I talked to him the next morning as well. His biggest recommendation was having had experience with people who've been in accidents like this was to make sure I get help. He says, you may seem not too bad now. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse because your brain is going to be on fire. And he goes, get help, get professional help, talk to somebody because you're going to need it. The ladies who took me in the ambulance, the uh, the medics, the EMTs, they were quite helpful. They, they asked me if I needed anything and it's like, but when you're in the middle of what I just experienced, what exactly are they going to be able to give me other than give me food? What really are they going to be able to do? Because they're not trained in counseling. So they, they're they sympathetic. They, they feel for me. They know the story because I told them, but what exactly are they going to do to help, right? So they really didn't know what to do. They felt kind of lost. They felt bad for me. But really, when you're not trained to deal with somebody who's going through something, there's, they weren't a lot of help other than being an ear to to listen to to me and try and distract me more than anything, which they did do a fairly good job of. And finding out where I'm from, what I do for a living, just other stuff beyond the accident, which helped. But yeah, I'm not so sure that they're really trained to do anything other than try to just keep me comfortable more than anything. Absolutely. I am very, very grateful, though, that the corporal who responded to the accident did have the wherewithal to give you that excellent advice. Um, 
I know after our daughter died, that was one of the first pieces of, of uh, advice that we got, and actually from police services as well. So I'm really glad to see that they are at least aware of, of all of those things that folks are experiencing. So this cannot have been too good for your mental health. Can you tell us a little bit how things were after that? Trying to sleep that night was an interesting chore. One of the things that happens going through something like this is you, like you said in your last podcast that you did your episode two, it's the what ifs. I went through what if after what if, like one after the other through my brain going, okay, what if I had stopped to get something to eat? This wouldn't have happened. What if I'd actually seen him sooner? It wouldn't have happened. What if I had left earlier as I was in the daytime? Then it wouldn't have happened. But all the what ifs in the world don't mean anything because it's all hypothetical on if I had done this, maybe I could have avoided it. But the fact is, it happened. It's now my reality. And I need to deal with it from a realistic standpoint and not the what ifs. The what ifs aren't going to help me. So it turns more into what now. And I'm trying to rack my brain on who can I talk to? I need to get some of this out. Who do I talk to? And because of the stress I'm under and the PTSD that's kicking in, the shock, I talked to a couple of people on the phone, my parents for one, so they could come get me. I have a friend who's a policeman here in uh, the cities with the Regina city police. He's also a, an accident reconstructionist. So he's, he's used to this sort of thing. So he and I chatted, uh, but he can't because of his job, tell me too much as far as what he thinks is going to happen to me, as far as will I be charged? That was the other big, what if that kept me up most tonight, are they going to charge me with something? Am I going to end up in jail? That was my biggest fear overnight. And I didn't have that answer because they're still doing the investigation. The corporal, when I was at the scene, said, well, based on everything you've told me, there's nothing you could have done to avoid it. Not likely we're going to charge you with anything, but we'll do the investigation tonight and we'll talk tomorrow. So there was no guarantee of me not being charged. So I was sitting on pins and needles going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. So it's the, the unknown that was really getting to me that night. Absolutely. I can totally understand. Uh, just that fear of, I mean, ultimately, a man's life was lost, right? I, I can totally see how that would be. So how long did it take for you? you? You obviously realized early on, right away, it sounds like, that you would probably need some professional help. I knew that night I was in trouble I, because of the way that I was feeling. And I knew that I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to get the pain to stop. So I needed to do something. And I'm that type that I just, when I something starts to bother me and something starts to go wrong, as I attack it, I don't just cave in. So I started going after it, going, okay, so where do I go first? So I talked to the healthcare provider we have with work to go, okay, I need to talk to someone. So I called them, got them on the phone, and they said, oh, okay, we can book you into an appointment. This is a Wednesday night that it happened. So I'm, I called them on a Thursday. They said, yeah, we can get you into an appointment. Uh, how about 1030 next Thursday? Waiting a week isn't going to help me. I'm in the, a case right now where I'm really down. I'm pretty depressed. Uh, my anxiety levels are through the roof. I need to talk to somebody now. So I said, no, that's not going to work. I need somebody today. 
goes, well, we can't guarantee that. We'll put you on a call list. And if somebody's off from dealing with some of their appointments early enough, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get back to you. And that was the end of that conversation. So no guarantees I'm talking to anybody. Eventually I did. I was able to talk to a lady uh, at seven o'clock that night. I'd gotten a hold of him about two o'clock in the afternoon. So it was about five hours later. I got a phone call. I talked to her and it lasted about 18 minutes, which isn't very long because I got incredibly frustrated and I killed the conversation. I stopped talking. She was treating me like a child. She had a really soft voice and oh, it's going to be okay. Like you're consoling a preschooler and I'm a 50 at the time, 54 year old male who doesn't need that. And all that did was upset me and I shut down. I stopped really talking about much of anything and the conversation kind of was going to the wayside. And she goes, well, if you need any more help, you want to talk to anybody, just call into the line and uh, you'll get somebody, uh, they'll hook you up with somebody else. Which if you understand me not wanting to go through my story over and over and over again to re-trigger myself, the last thing I talk to somebody new every single time I call in. So the provider I had trying to get help was really not helpful. That's awful. I'm really sorry to hear about that. Please tell me that you found somebody to help you that was better than that situation. Um, yeah, well, it turns out that the gentleman I was going to see, who's a real estate investor, he's my real estate coach. That's who I was going to see in uh, in Winnipeg. And it turns out that he has a life coach who's also trained in neuro-linguistic programming. And he suggested her. So I got a hold of her and was able to talk to her within a couple of days. We set up a meeting, we talked, and then I started the process of using her as a resource to use some of her training to try to get through what I was getting through. Uh, the biggest issue I was having was the physical reaction I was having to the memory. Every trigger I had put me back into the same physical state I was in when the accident happened. So it's like that big knot in my chest. It's that wanting to throw up. It's that wanting to escape wanting to just crawl into a hole and just get away from everything and just hide and try to bury the pain and which i know it's it's a bad thing to do and i, I can't do that i need to face it i need to get through it so that i can manage myself if you're loving the show i want to hear your feedback take a screenshot showing your five-star rating and that you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcast or are following us on Spotify. Then head over to the Rising Strong Podcast Facebook page. Hit the message button and send it my way. You'll be entered to win some Rising Strong swag. I will draw one name at the end of each month. Good luck and thanks for listening. The other thing I did was eventually got into a psychologist and with him, it turns out to be somebody I knew, which helped. And I was able to get in, which is surprising because they're so hard to get into. There's such a, a big demand right now for mental health that trying to go through the healthcare system to do the was you get through your health services. Yeah. You're waiting two months minimum sometimes longer. I got put on a call list and it's now been two years and a bit and I've never received a phone call from that service. 
So I got completely dropped on that one. So it's a good thing I wasn't waiting for that one because it was never coming. I was on their list for for two different ones, like a psychologist, psychiatrist, and and counseling. And I never got a phone call. So the public one that you get that doesn't cost anything through your health card, health services, yeah, uh, no value at all. The psychologist I was seeing was okay, but I wasn't getting the sort of recovery that I was expecting to get. I was actually getting more from my life coach with the NLP. So rather than paying for both, I just paid for the one. Unfortunately, my healthcare coverage uh, doesn't cover somebody who does NLP as a life coach. That's not coverable in your insurance. The psychologist was, but I only get $400. Even with having a higher end job, uh, that's all we get. So it's $175 an hour. So it covered two and a half sessions and that was it. So I was on the on the hook for the rest of the cost, which that's one of the major issues with our society right now is that mental health doesn't take a step to the forefront, especially even in insurance, that to realize somebody going through what I went through is not going to be better in three sessions. It takes more than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think as a society, as a government, as everyone, you know, priorities have got to change. I think that you've really highlighted that uh, sadly. And I'm I'm really glad to hear that you were able to pursue something on your own because, I mean, we both know lots of people who are not in a financial position to do that, or they're just hurting so bad that picking up the phone the very first time to get on that wait list for the psychologist, the psychiatrist, whatever, that that were, you know, might be as, as capable as they are at the moment. And to wait this long, two years out, that's terrible, terrible. And I agree. And it's the, something needs to change. And that's where people like you and I spreading a message, hopefully will help somebody to, to get the right information that they can do things to help themselves which I did a lot of. And that's one of the pieces that I think people don't understand is that there are things you can do that can really help with your own mental health. You don't need to rely on a counselor or need to rely on a psychologist 100% of the time. There's more things you can do. Absolutely. You know, I think having a counselor, therapist, whatever you want to call them in your back pocket is a really good thing. Um, I'm a believer in holistic well-being and i think you know when we look at the holistic end of things there's the social the physical the mental you know all these different puzzle pieces and when we work on one we effectively work on the whole well-being so um interestingly enough before you and i jumped on this call you were off at the gym so let's talk about you know how you take care of your physical well-being is that a big part of your mental health self-care that's been a part of my world for a really long time. And I know the science behind it. I'm a science geek. And that's what I'm trained in. I'm a science teacher. And one of the things from the research I've done, they've done a lot of research on why is it that physical exercise benefits those who have anxiety or depression issues? It turns out that when you exercise your muscles, your muscles release a protein when they start to break down. And that protein goes into your body, but also has some chemicals related to it, endorphins, etc. And what it does, it acts as a natural antidepressant, which is why when you go to the gym and you're leaving, you feel so much better. 
it's not just because you got exercise and you've worked out your body, but it's because there's actual chemical processes in your body that are helping you to fight that depression and anxiety. So exercises, I'm a big believer of. When I was going through divorce eight years ago, it was my my safe haven. And I had been doing that for quite some time, using the gym as part of my escape from home. But at the same time, it helped me with my anxiety levels and my depression at the time. And knowing that, I just ramped up the amount I was working out. I was working out even more after the accident because I knew it was a benefit I needed to take advantage of. So I go to the gym quite a bit, anywhere from three, four times a week, uh, especially after the accident, it was four. Uh, now it tapers off some because I, I get busy with kids. But back then I made sure I went regularly because it was the one piece of my self-care that was having the largest difference for me at the time. Mm-hmm. I can totally relate. Um, I think I lasted eight days after Katie died in a car accident and I had I had been an avid exerciser for years like you leading up to that point. And I, I could almost hear her, her voice in my ear, like, come on, mom, go downstairs. We've got a home gym, go downstairs. You know, you're going to feel better. And you know, those first couple of workouts were a slog. You know, I, I wasn't into it mentally or physically, frankly, but it made a colossal difference in just my ability to cope Um, I'm not a runner. I am not built to run, but I would get on my treadmill and I would run and run and run and run and run until I could hardly walk. And I remember, you know, using the the stairway banister to go up the stairs, just like a hundred year old person, because I had just depleted myself so much. Um, But those endorphins, like you say, like that chemical reaction, whatever it was, it just gave me enough of a belief that I could do one more day. So I think that that is a huge, huge piece in coping. What else do you do for yourself? I started, as it turns out, while I was getting into the accident, that year is when I went on a reading binge. I had done enough research to know that the most successful people in the world are voracious readers. So I wanted to test that theory for myself. So I've been in personal development since 2012, so it's been 11 years. So in 2021, I set myself a goal. I was going to read a book a week for the entire year. So there's 52 weeks in a year. By the end of the year, I had read 56 books. And I'm not talking little pamphlets that are 20 pages long. Some of them are like uh, The Giant Within, which is from Tony Robbins, which is a 700-page book. That was the biggest one I read, but there's lots of books that were two, 300 pages, 400 pages. So it wasn't small reads. There were longer reads and the vast majority, 95% of it was personal development material. Everything you can think of from various different writers, different topics. And some of that information that I had learned about, I used to create my routine that I started doing a little bit before the accident, but it wasn't really hardcore. After the accident, I got myself into a very strict regimen first thing in the morning where I get up significantly earlier than I usually do. I'm usually up by seven. I was up at 5.30 every day since then. I have not missed a day yet in just over two years where I will get up and I will have my structured time to be able to work on my mindset for the day. 
the biggest issue I had after the accident was controlling my mind and controlling the negative spin that happens every single day, every minute of the day. I needed to control it in order to get better. So I started a morning routine. A lot of it kind of mirrored Hal Elrod's book, Miracle Morning. For those who want to read a good book on how to set some of it up, I don't follow everything he does, but I did mimic a lot of what he teaches and created my own little process in the morning. So I will do meditation. I do affirmations. I do visualization. I do journaling. All of that's done in the morning. First thing in the morning, I do not look at email. I don't look at anything else that's going to distract me from my routine. I can't start my day by looking at an email as soon as I get up and look at my phone because that puts me into my day routine, not into my morning routine of getting my mindset right. Once my mindset's good in the morning, then it tends to be a much better day. And I found that the more I practiced that, the better I got at it and the more of an effect it was having on making sure that when I'm getting going on my day, I'm not starting from a deficit in energy where I'm in a negative tailspin already before I even leave the house. I'm actually the opposite. I've got a really high energy and very positive on here are the things I'm going to accomplish today and visualize that to say, this day is going to be a good day. And as I see something I journaled, today is going to be a good day. And I would say, why? Because this is what's going to happen for me today. And that really put me on the right mindset to create for myself a good structure to get better. I love that. That is so powerful. So then you took all of this good stuff and you wrote a book. Tell us about your book. I did. It took some time reliving the accident, especially with as graphic as it was. I couldn't do that. I didn't tell very many people when I got back. Part of that is out of fear, fear being labeled a killer, Uh, the fear of what other people will think and being labeled with a very negative connotation. And people will see me as something very different than what I really am. And that was a large fear for me. And I didn't tell people. Of everybody I work with at work, some of them I have known for quite a few years, I told my boss, my boss told his boss, and I told one other person who was the boss at the time. So they're basically all in their higher level management people. Nobody else knew for well over a year that I was actually in an accident. I didn't tell anybody. And it does the same thing with uh, other than family. Family obviously knew, but my friends, most of my friends didn't know. Uh, I never told them. Uh, So it's, once I got to the point where the story needed to come out because I was sort of my healing had gotten to the point where I could, that was 10 months. Uh, accident happened in October, end of August, I start writing my book. And eventually I found a function on Microsoft word where it's a dictation function. I could hit a little microphone button and I could just talk and it would put everything in words for me into a word document and I can go back later and edit. That helped a lot to be able to get it out and try to stay focused on my train of thought and try and put as much detail into what I experienced as I could remember. Now, it had been a while, so I maybe there's some pieces I'd forgotten, but for the most part, quite sure I got a lot of the detail down. And I wrote it really quickly. I got it edited. So I started in August. I had it edited, done. I self-published. I did my own cover, designed it with a guy on Fiverr, really cheap. Uh, I self-published it onto Amazon and Barnes & Noble in both uh, EPUB, which is the, an ebook, 
as well as in paperback, which is print on demand. So I don't had didn't have to carry volumes of books. You don't need to do that anymore. They will print it when somebody orders, they print a book and send it. So there's no books actually stockpiled anywhere. It's just a print on demand function that they have now. So I was able to do that and I had the book released by the 1st of February. So it took me only a very few short months to get it to the point where it was ready to get out. That's funny because uh, it took me longer than that just to do the edits on my book. (laughs) So I commend you for for doing that. Um, You've also taken your story and everything you've learned and your experience and you're speaking now, which I think is incredible. Who do you speak to and what, what parts of your story do you share? I'm careful because there are those people in our society who would be triggered by hearing the graphic version, which is what I've said most of today. You got a good piece of it today. Uh, The rest will be in my book if people want to get that. But saying the graphic part, especially with the other vehicles hitting him, launching his body and then being basically trampled by two other vehicles, that is a piece that I'm careful not to say depending on the audience. I've done presentations with Schizophrenia Society. I'm one of their guest speakers that does sessions. I've been booked for six sessions with them so far, just in the last uh, month. And one of the groups that I've presented with is the RCMP cadets. So for them, it's it's a very big learning experience for them to hear the other side of a victim's take on an accident. And here's the things that they can do to help somebody like me. Here's my mindset. Just realize that I'm not in a normal mindset when you're talking to me because of what I just experienced, right? So that's that's the kind of thing I did with them. Other groups, it's talking about the recovery piece. It's educating people on even something as graphic and as drastic as what happened to me. I didn't give up. I kept going. I kept trying to get through the other side. And I didn't look at it as in the whole, woe was me. Okay, I'm just going to crawl into a hole, pretend it never happened, and just use alcohol, use drugs, self-medicate using nose to dull in the pain and do whatever I can to make the pain just go away by just ignoring it. That doesn't work. And that's one of the bigger messages I have for people when I get out to speak is that there are things you can do to get better. And you need to do those things and move forward and not get stuck in that negative mental space, that negative spin, which creates the anxiety, creates the depression, and creates the, the issue that if it gets any worse and you try to self-medicate like with alcohol, which is and adds to your depression because it's a depressant, can take you into a suicide spin. And that's when it gets dangerous, where you could be a, a danger to yourself or a danger to someone else. So I'm more the type to tell people that you can get through the other side. It's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. The goal at the other end is well worth the struggle to get there because you are going to get better. A little piece of work every single day adds up into a very big change over time. It took me months to be able to get through it, but I wasn't going to give up. And in the end, I ended up getting my professional life coaching certification. I'm also a workshop facilitator. Took training in that, training as a public speaker. Uh, I do, I'm going to be doing more sessions in libraries with my book. I'm going to be doing sessions in schools. I've got two I've already talked to who are going to book me in for mental health sessions with students. I come from a teaching background, so I love talking to kids. So it's a chance to get out and 
tell them that yes, there there are ways you can get past a lot of the negative stuff that's happening. You don't have to just take it, right? You can fight back. Absolutely. I think um, the biggest takeaway from our talk so far here today is mindset. And I am 100% behind you on that. It's just so interesting to me to, to meet people like you that are such an inspiration. I mean, you've been through just an unimaginable situation, but through the power of mindset and checking in with yourself and just doing the things, doing the work, right? We as individuals are the only ones that can change our situation, right? Going to see a psychologist is great. Going to get, you know, different, uh, see different professionals for different kinds of help is great. But at the end of the day, it's us that have to do the work. We can't go back in time. Um, but if you could, what would you say to yourself in those early minutes, days, hours after the accident? One of the things that I didn't know that I found out a year and a half after the accident is that when you get into an accident and you're looking for help from a mental health perspective, it is part of your plates and part of your insurance. It's called, this comes with you paying for your plates. You get insurance in Saskatchewan where we are. I know we have listeners from other places, but double check the insurance you have, whatever the provider is. Like for us, it's uh, SGI. SGI has a policy within their guidelines that if you need medical help from for mental health, not just uh, physical, but if you need mental health help and you need to book a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor, if you ask them for it, they will do it for you and it's paid for by your insurance. I didn't know that. So as you know, uh, one of the other focuses of this podcast is not just mental health, it's resilience. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what resilience means to you. There's another word that I use, which is tenacity. Being tenacious, being somebody who looks at it and goes, okay, I am going to get better. I am going to have my struggles. I know I'm going to have bad days. I'm going to get triggered. It's just reality because of what I went through with PTSD, but I'm not going to give up. I need to get to the other end. And that was my ultimate goal, get to the other side. And as I was getting better, then I wanted to look at it from the standpoint of, yes, something really crappy happened to me. But I want to use that as a story to help somebody else who is in the same situation as me that just didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go, didn't know who to talk to. Maybe a part of my story can help them. So I became very tenacious and very resilient in what I was doing because I was trying to make a difference on the other end. I don't want somebody else, even especially with somebody I care about, like my family or my friends, to go through something like I went through and not have support and not know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't tell anybody because I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing. I, it's just the whole gambit of everything that happened. I don't want that for the people in my life. I don't want that for people that I could have helped if I had simply told my story. So for me, the whole resiliency of it is to keep going and not to get frustrated and not to like, I was expecting to do public speaking way more than what I've gotten to at this point, 
but it all takes time. It all takes a piece at a time every day working at it and it will get there. Don't give up. And that's the resiliency part is never wanting to give up. You want to get to the other side. You want to get better. I want to help other people with the story that I have. Absolutely. And I I think that that you bring up a very good point too. I think as human beings, whatever we're thinking we would like to do, whether it's speaking on stage, writing a book, running a marathon, whatever it is, we're, we live in this instant gratification culture, right? Where we think, you know, I'm going to be better next week or, you know, next month I'm going to be better or I'll get to that goal. And I think success comes in going slow and just accepting that every day you're going to move forward. Actually, I'm going to take that back. I think some days you make giant strides forward and some days you fall backwards, but it's that getting up when you fall backwards. To me, that's what resilience is. And to me, that's what you have really done here, Jacques, and really outlined to us is that you just kept getting up. One of the things I talked about last week in one of my videos was you need to be comfortable with where you are right now. Mm -hmm. You can't be going, okay, what was me? I'm not where I need to be. It's like, but are you better than yesterday? Are you better than you were a week ago? Yes. So be comfortable with where you are, accept where you are that, yes, it's going to take a little longer. Yes. Having somebody else say that, well, you're going to be off work for at least three months. I was off for one week and I was back at work. And there's stories behind that as far as why. It's all in my book. People can read, but I won't get into that here. But each person has their own way of going through the struggles they're going through. One person's story is not going to be the same as someone else's. So no one else has the right to tell you that you need to do this. No, the the one person above anyone else who knows what's best for you is you. Absolutely. Excellent advice. And I think we do go looking at other people though, right? You know, comparison is just, uh, it destroys us and it doesn't allow us to do the healing work that we need to do. Run your own race, stay in your own lane. And, uh, and you'll get there. So you mentioned Instagram. Where is the best pay- place for people to find you, uh, contact you with questions, all that kind of thing? Driving Out of Darkness is the name of my book. And I intentionally use that same phrase for all of my social media. It's a fan page on Facebook. It's on TikTok. And it's on Instagram. All of those have messaging systems in them. So it's easy enough just to zap me a message through one of those to get in touch with me. It's not hard to do. Driving Out of Darkness is also a website, which is linked to my book. My books, you can buy my book off of there. It'll take you directly to a link to either Barnes & Noble or to Amazon, depending on which country you're in. And then there's bonus material that you can get off of that website. And there's a contact form. So you can always contact me through there as well. So I'm not hard to get a hold of. I am a certified life coach and I am able to help people who are looking to just move forward from any sort of stressful situations like trauma or otherwise. Wow. I have just really enjoyed this interview, Jacques, and I am just so, so grateful that you were able to take some time out of your busy life to to share your story and your advice with us. And to our listeners, be well. Thanks for listening and stay resilient.
Oh, and one more thing. If you're like me and you find it helpful to write things out, you will love the Oprah-approved Promptly journals, especially the Peace of Mind journal. I've been using these for years now. You can check them out at bit.ly slash calming journals. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash calming journals. By the way, when you purchase a Promptly journal, you will be supporting this podcast. So thank you so much.